very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, by now, after so many years, you know what to do. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Give yourself the gift of truth. What are aliens? Where do they come from? Are there different types? What kind of technology do they possess? And are they just using physics in its true form? Why are they here? Have they always been here looking over us? Are they the watchers? These are some of the questions we will discuss with tonight's special guest, Patty Conklin. Patty Conklin believes that when the universe began, a cacophony of tones, which we now identify as frequency, echoed throughout the universe, and they were both chaotic and highly ordered. We can use that knowledge to impact our physical lives. Paddy Conklin has learned that everything in the universe has a frequency, and that quantum physics goes hand in hand with metaphysics. Even though we are taught that the two are separate in her work as a healer, she has learned from the work of Bruce Lipton on cellular biology and Richard Gerber on vibrational medicine. She has developed a toolbox, a method to use the frequencies of light and sound to heal thousands of people. But this is not what we're going to be discussing tonight. We're going to be discussing something else. We recently conducted an interview with Patty on Sanitas Radio titled, How Life Really Works. What is the real source of health and healing? And during that interview, I uh, found out that Patty has had encounters and she has had a life that is worth exploring on this other radio show we call Veritas. If you need to learn more about Patty and her work, her new book, The Gut Within, visit her website at pattyconklin.com, which is also linked at ours. So directly from Ackworth, Georgia, I'm privileged to welcome Patty Conklin back. Welcome back, Patty. How are you? Thank you so much, Mel. I'm doing fabulous. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's great. Now we can actually... Ask all the questions that I couldn't ask you on the other side. The other side <laughs> is mostly dealing with uh, untapping and unlocking the full potential of humans. But here, we try to discover the secrets of the universe. So let's start from your story. I read your bio, but tell us more about you. Take us back from t to childhood and give us a better perspective of who you are. Wow. Thank you. Um, childhood. I've I've had my what I consider gift of sight um, since birth. 
And uh, what that means um, in today's terms is that my site is more particle um, than it is actually solid. So if you were watching television and the cable went out and you had snow on the television, that's the way my world looks 24 seven. Um, so as a child, it began developing and I was able to see things within the body. Um, but I really, not until I was in my early twenties, did I really understand, um, what it was that was different. I really thought everyone saw this way. I was very isolated as a child and, and, um, really didn't have a lot of close friends. And so I never talked about it because I just kind of assumed that everything was uh, in the same order. Um, and it wasn't until I was 28 that I was tested. And we found that I had an extremely high IQ and a very fast brain and uh, almost 250% faster um, than an average person. And so it creates this ability to see similar to an MRI. Um, and so I developed my work um, uh, 19 years ago after getting a visitation from what I call father, um, without any religious context, <laughs> just a male voice that I heard, um, telling me that it was time to start the work that I had uh, been told to do as a child of seven when I had my first visitation. Um, and people throughout the years have said, well, how do you know they weren't aliens? And I'm like, well, it could have been. Um, I just know my life has been of service. And so I don't really care who the information's coming from. Um, but it opened up a lot of questions for me in terms of what's out there. Usually people like you attract the attention of the authorities or perhaps <laughs> authorities from beyond. Which <laughs> Which have you attracted? <laughs> both. <laughs> both. Um, both, both. When I first started, um, I had been on uh, Coast to Coast uh, within a few years of starting the work. And, um, and the next day, I received a phone call um, from the military. And, um, and they, it was a general, supposedly. And, um, and he's like, you know, we, we really, we want to hold a meeting of people that we consider to be the spiritual leaders of tomorrow, um, to really, you know, how can we help the world and, and just look at it from, you know, from, uh, the standpoint of, of economic growth and spiritual growth and so on and so forth. And I was fascinated. I was just hold so on. happy. A, a military man discussing spirituality? Spirituality. Mm. And, and so, but I was naive. I, you know, I was new to the business um, because I had always been in nonprofits and, you know, had been in professional corporations and, and I really, I didn't know any better. But after we talked for about a half hour, um, it became clear to me that he could care less <laughs> about my thoughts on spirituality. Um, his thoughts were centered on, we want to know how your brain works. You know, your brain is so unique. We want to know how it works. And what really tipped me off was when he told me that it would be in New Mexico and that they would pick me up at the airport and that I was going to be with them for three days and my children would not be able to contact me, nor would they know where I was, that it was going to be held in secret. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm interested uh, in attending. Uh, I'm not comfortable with that. And um, he encouraged me and, and he got kind of nasty towards the end. And I just said, no, I wasn't interested. And um, within the hour, the local uh, sheriff pulled into my driveway 
And I went out and he just looked at me and he said, I just want you to know we know where you live and left. The sheriff. The sheriff. Yeah. So, so there had been, and, and the other interesting thing that, uh, you know how the recruiters always go to high school, you know, mm -hmm. to talk to the kids about joining the services and so forth. Right. Both of my biological sons, um, were pulled in, um, at first by the Navy and, um, and the boys came home. They're like, yeah, we met with the naval recruiters today, you know, both of us. And I'm like, really? And Matt's like, yeah, it was really weird. They didn't want to know anything about us. They were asking questions about you. And I thought, wow. And, and Dan came home and said the same thing, that, that the questions were all based around me and uh, not about them, that it was clear to them because they didn't know. Um, and then they started talking to their friends and their friends are like, why were they asking about your mom? You know, they talked to us about us and what our goals were and so forth. Um, they weren't asking about our family. So yeah, there's, there's been some, some interesting times that, that not only for me, but, but for the boys, um, certainly, uh, that was a quite an experience for them. Well, they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, so they might as well, <laughs> if they can't get the mother, they can get the, the offspring. Yeah. But it's interesting that you said the Navy, because it seems that the Navy is the branch of the military connected to all of this. You would think maybe Air Force, but the Navy, yep. according to the late uh, William Cooper. But I'm curious, when you went on coast to coast, what was the reason you went on coast to coast? Coast to coast um, was actually on the medical intuition, um, and it really focused around my sight and how I saw and um, how I saw the world and my philosophies of, you know, how we heal and, and um, diseases and so forth. Um, and I was amazed that I was, I was asked on because, you know, at that point they weren't really doing what they considered to be psychic or intuitive. It was really outside the genre. Um, and yet I was told later on that it was one of their biggest shows um, of that year. So, um, so it was just interesting that, that that just kind of fell into place. It's also and, interesting that when they came to you and you decline after you realize you're probably going to be going to, who knows, Los Alamos or right. uh, Sandia or some underground base, and you're probably going to be put in their gurney and under... Uh, who, who knows what they would have done to you, but how do you know you were not actually taken by them eventually? You know, I mean, I could have been, I could have been, I don't, I don't know. I, I just thought it was so bizarre and it was a, it was a really intense time period um, because not only was I getting that, I was, you know, I was getting that from, you know, those kind of phone calls. I was um, doing some lectures at Global Science, uh, which I think is now defunct. But um, at the time, I really didn't fit Global Sciences either. And I was being asked there. And I'll never forget, and this was the same year as being called from the military. I was at Global Sciences. And there was a group there, a, almost a cultish group. And... Um, and they walked up to me and they said, your son, Daniel. And at that point, I was very protective of the kids. You know, they were they were um, 12 and 13 at the time. And uh, and this group just walked up to me and I didn't advertise my sons. And they said, your son, Daniel, your oldest son, Daniel, is the reincarnation of Enoch. And we need you to bring him into this group. 
And I'm just looking at him like, no. And, and they're like, he will die by his 19th birthday if you don't bring him into the group. And I'm just like, yeah, get away. Um, but I can't tell you how many people who do not know Daniel has said exactly the same thing, that he's the reincarnation of Enoch. So, so for me, not being a part of this world, you know, I never discussed psychic or intuitive stuff as a teenager with my friends and so forth and kept it pretty much, you know, to myself, um, through my adult years. Um, this was a whole new spin on stuff that I had never been involved in before and, and didn't know what was really pulling me into, um, that nexus of that kind of information. And, you know, as time has gone on, I've understood it a little bit more. And certainly with Daniel's 19th year, I kept a close eye on him. Um, but, but it opened up a world that I had never seen before that I had never seen before. Um, but I will tell you that when, when I was a kid, um, my, my neighborhood, uh, childhood friend and I would always go up on our back hill. You know, we lived in rural upstate New York and, um, we'd always go up on the back hill. And one day we were five and six years old. Um, and it was before my first visitation. Um, so we were five and six years old and we went up on the back hill and we saw this huge area that was just the dirt, you know, it was just dirt. The field was gone and it was just dirt. And I remember us saying, oh, it must be a meteor. A meteor must have hit here. And we were all excited, you know, we're running down and we're telling our parents and, you know, they're not believing any of it. But, but we both touched the soil and the soil was hot. And in our brains, it was like, it's a meteor. Well, cut to about 30 years later, um, she and I are visiting here in Atlanta. And she said, do you remember when we were little kids and we'd go up on the back hill and the day we saw the meteor? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that so clear. I remember touching that soil and having it hot. And she said, Patty, there was no stone. There was no stone there. And I'm like what? She's like, there was no rock there. It was a perfect circular circle. And we'd sit in that shed right on the corner of the property and wait for UFOs. And I'm like, no, we didn't. And she's like, yeah, we did. I said, there wasn't a shed. This is my parents' property, 45 acres that I know front and back. And I'm like, there was never a shed there. And, and I asked my parents, I said, was there a shed in the back corner? She's like, oh, you, you and Barbie used to go there all the time. I have absolutely no memory of it. But I can tell you to this day, I remember I can still feel the heat from that circle. And she went off and started studying UFOs and, and so forth in, in, her, in her spare time because she's convinced that we were taken um, at that age. So and that I circle, have, that circle is probably the, the, the remains of the landing of a, a craft, exactly. is that what you're saying? Yeah, and that's her memory of it. And, um, and I have absolutely no memory except remembering that I felt the ground and how hot it was. And, and she, in her mind, she's just like, I want to fly again. I want to fly when we were on the saucer. I want to go back. And I, and I just, I, and I even blocked out that building, that shed, um, on the property 
that had always been there that my grandfather had built. So there, there's got to be something inside of me that just blocked all that out. And then it was two years later when I had, quote, what I call my first visitation and my acceleration in terms of my gifts and everything kind of took off from there. So you were six at the time before I that? Was five. Five. I was, yeah. Before that, you hadn't had any experience? I had. I had. I, I did have an experience. My, my mother and her best friend were in the kitchen and um, they were having coffee. And I walked in and I looked at my mother's friend and I saw sperm go into an egg. And, and I was only three years old, but I knew that that was a sperm and I knew that that was an egg and that she had just conceived a baby. And so I started jumping up and down and yelling and I was so excited and I'm like, oh, you're going to have a baby. What do you mean you saw a sperm go into an egg? I, I literally saw like an x-ray of a sperm going into an egg. But, but the unnerving thing is, is that I understood what it was that I was looking at and that I knew she had just conceived it. Now, what three-year-old knows how a baby's made? I don't know. Right. So, so I was so excited and they started laughing and then she looked at me and she said, no, I'm not. And, and her body flashed in front of me and her flesh flashed in front of me. And because I was only three and I didn't know the difference, I said, oh, but you're going to die when the baby's born. And my mother backhanded me so hard, she knocked me through the living room or the kitchen wall into the living room. And I remember just coming up filled with blood and, and just looking at her saying, what did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? And my mother's like, don't talk to me. Just don't come near me. And, and nine months later, her, her best friend died in childbirth. So, so, you know, there were experiences before the five of that, that time period. But I mean, I just remember being so excited to see a meteor hit the earth and, 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 you know, to touch it and feel the heat and how hot it was and everything and have no other memory of it. And to, for her to have all of these memories and was shocked that I didn't, you know, that I didn't reason out that there was never an actual meteor there. And I'm like, I've never thought about it. It's never come into my brain since. And yet I had what I considered to be a visitation two years later. Why do you think she has recollection, but you didn't? You know, I just, so much of my gift, I believe has grown because I've been so isolated in my world. And, and because I was such the, 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 off kid. Um, you know, I was the kid that, that didn't know how to socialize. I, I didn't know how to make friends. I was very shy. I'm still very shy. Um, I don't like to be around a lot of people. And so what that left was an internal growth and observation. I was always observing human beings. I was always observing um, humans and how they interacted with each other and how they spoke to each other and, and the behavior of them and, and so forth. And I even found that I continued that kind of languaging until I was in my mid-40s and realized that I discussed people as human beings and not fellow people. Um, I was always observing the human beings. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I think that if I had had those memories or whatever, 
um, it may not have isolated me to the extent of where my gifts have grown today because my grip, my gifts are, are very much outside the, the known, you know, intuitives and psychics and so forth. Um, I don't think they're greater. I think they're just totally different, um, than an average intuitive. And about your son, let me go back to your son. Is it Daniel? Mm-hmm. Daniel, how, how do you feel when you were told that he was the reincarnation of Enoch, and, and what were some of the traits that he displayed that you can share? Um, Daniel, uh, what I understand about Enoch was that Enoch was one of the first originators of written language, of of the actual written language. Um, Daniel started speaking full sentences at one years old, full sentences. By the time he was two, I had him tested and he already had a 10-year-old comprehension level. So one of the things about Daniel was his incredible advancement as as a, a tiny baby. Um, he never acted like other kids. He was very protective of his older brother or his younger brother. He he um he was he was a sage. He would walk into my bedroom in the middle of the night with his eyes wide open and you knew he was in trance and he could tell me about a car accident that had just happened across the country and, and that two kids were killed and angels were coming and, you know, it was a green car and, and then you'd turn on the news in the morning and he'd be a hundred percent accurate. Um, so one of the things that, that kind of freaked me out when he was little was he was about 14 months old. And he loved cleaning off the table and he had a sponge and he's in his diapers. You know, he doesn't have any other clothes on. It's a hot summer day and he's in his diaper and he's wiping off this table. And um, his dad is an atheist. And so we did not discuss religion. We didn't have a television. We didn't have a radio. I was very possessive um, and protective. So basically he had me, you know, I didn't let anybody else near him and he had never been left with a babysitter. So he's cleaning off this table and, and I just looked at him and I said, you know, you did a fantastic job, but I think it's done. And, um, he's scrubbing away and he's like, but my other mommy always used to let me clean the table. And I looked at him and my other shiver, mommy. my other mommy, and the shiver went through my spine and I looked at him and I said, what other mommy? And this is a 14 month old baby lays down the, the sponge looks at me directly in the eye and said, obviously, I need to explain something wait to you. Wait a second, wait a second. See, see I'm trying to... 14 months old. I'm thinking of a four-year-old maybe talking. No. This is a 14-month-year-old no. talking like old. that. Talking like that. Wow. Obviously, I need to explain something to you. And I said, obviously, you do. And he said, you know, it took God a little bit of time to get you and Daddy ready for me. And it took us five years to conceive. I mean, we were doing everything and I just couldn't conceive. And, um, and one night I prayed and I just said, I, you know, if you want me to have these babies with this guy, I need to, I need to get pregnant. And that night I started bleeding from the rectum and he had to rush me to the hospital. And for three days I bled and had to have, you know, blood transfusions and so forth. And after three days it stopped and a month later I was pregnant for Daniel. So, so it was a meant to be kind of thing. And he said, you know, it took a while for, for God to get you and daddy ready for me. So while I was waiting for you, he gave me another mommy and daddy to live with. 
And, and I said, well, what do you remember? He said, I don't remember my dad very much, but I can remember my mommy. I can still feel her hugs. And he takes his little arms and he wraps them around himself and he's just kind of hugging himself. And I said, what happened? And he said, I got hit by a car. I was nine. You and daddy were ready for me. <sighs> and, and there was no way that this child ever would have had, I mean, I wasn't even sure how I felt about reincarnation at that stage. Um, but I knew that there was no other way that he could develop this uh, type of knowing and, and the ability to speak at such a young age. And he's still at, at 33, he'll be 34 next month. He's still someone who, you know, every once in a while will come out with something that I look at him and go, that is the deepest thing I've ever heard. How on earth, how on earth would you know that? Because my kids don't study um, the arts. They don't, they don't study my work. You know, my work is like everyday stuff to them. And they never, they have never questioned it. They've never gone, gee, mom, what are you doing? Gee, mom, are you in your body? Gee, mom, what's going on? And so a couple of months ago, um, I think we had talked about it, but there was a, a Swami who had gone into a coma and um, his disciples were with him and he was in Maryland and, and uh, in hospice and, and he was having a, a hard time leaving his body. And he actually came out of the coma to tell his disciples to find me to help him leave. He needed a little bit of extra help. And so they Googled me and they found me and they called and I was really tired. So I went upstairs um, because I was here at Dan's house um, and his wife is the one who's, who's uh, pregnant. And I went upstairs and I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of tired and I need to leave my body right now and help the Swami in, in Maryland cross. Um, would you come down every half hour or so and just tap me on the leg and make sure I don't get too far gone because I'm just tired. He's like, sure. And his wife was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? And I'm like, I'm just going to leave my body and go help. But I just need somebody to tap me on the leg. And, um, and she's like, but what if you don't come back? And I said, I'll call Matthew. And, and she looks at Dan and she's like, well, what would Matthew do? And he's like, ah, he'd throw a bucket of water on her. That'll bring her back. <laughs> I'll get her back in her body. So, you know, for my kids, it's a very natural thing. And yet I've never asked Dan. Matt has always been the one around to tap me and make sure that I'm coming back. I've never asked Dan. And yet it wasn't outside of his realm of understanding what I was asking. And, and to me, that's fascinating. And now he's 33, 34. Yeah. Any attributes yeah. that he displays now, aside from what you just said? Yeah, the boys are divided. Uh, between me. Daniel has more, he doesn't have my sight, although his son, the two-year-old, is beginning to show signs of having my actual sight because uh, I'm colorblind and, and he's showing attributes of also being colorblind. Um, and so, but Dan has the, the seer capability. Matthew has my energy capabilities. Um, he doesn't have the seer capabilities. He has the energy capabilities. And I don't care how much pain you're in. If my son touches you, you will be out of pain. 
and and he just has this phenomenal energy and yet neither both boys will jump in and help me if i need help um, but neither boy have an interest in in moving into the field um, and continuing the work after i'm gone they're they're really you know daniel um, back when he was 17 um, I had come home from a workshop and I was so tired. And uh, let me backstep a minute. When, when the boys were six and seven, so Dan was seven, Matt was six. They sat me down on the couch and Dan looks at me and he said, you know, Matt and I have been discussing things and we're beginning to realize that you're not a normal mother. And I'm like, okay. And he said, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you can't cook and your housekeeping isn't much better. I'm like, those are true statements. And he said, so Matt and I have talked it over. I'm taking over the cooking and cleaning of the kitchen. And Matt's going to clean the rest of the house and take out the garbage. And do you know, Mel, from that day on, I did not walk in my kitchen. I could come home from Bangladesh at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that kid would have homemade soup waiting for me on the <laughs> stove. And, and, you know, he just took it. So at 17, I come home from this workshop. And... And I, he sat me down and he said, do you want a beer? Or do you want a cup of tea? He said, you know, right now I think I'd like a cup of tea. So he makes me a cup of tea and he brings it to me and he sits on the side of the chair and he puts his arms around me and he kisses me on the forehead and he said, do you know how much I admire and respect you? So deeply love what you do in your life. And I said, you know, I really appreciate that. And I look forward to the day that you and Matt join me. And he looked at me and he, and he picks up my hand and he kisses the back of my hand. And he said, don't you know, don't you know, Matt and I are here as a support system to you. We won't begin our work until after you're gone. And, and you know, it's that kind of knowing inside of him without asking any questions, without attending anything that I'm doing. There's this deep knowing inside of him. And my friends always said, you do not have normal children. Your children are not normal. They never raise their voice. They never talk back to you. They take care of you. And do you know how rare that is? And I'm like, they're just my kids. But Daniel is, is uh, you know, he's an author himself. He wrote a book called Eulogy. And... Um, and it was really questions he asked as a child. You know, what if we're just pawns on a chess piece? What if somebody just created us out of, out of material and, and, and we became human? Um, but we were just created out of old parchment paper. And, and so the book brings a lot of that philosophy. And I got to say, you know, I read the first 150 pages and I'm like, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> this is so dark. This is so dark and just so I, I just can't. And he's like, mom, please just keep working through it. So I sat down again and, and I started reading and then I got beyond the first 150 pages. And by the time I got to the end of the book, I was sobbing. I was sobbing. I, I just... I just couldn't believe how he created this masterpiece. And, and the ending was something you knew had to happen, but you were praying desperately that he'd find a different way to end it. And uh, incredibly profound and um, was number one on Amazon for a little while. So, you know, his, his way of words, his writing, um, he did the content editing on my book and, and kind of rewrote a lot of it. 
Um, so, you know, there's, there's just things and within, not within my parental or sibling structure, there's absolutely no sign of talent, uh, within anyone. Um, but it starts with me and then it goes to the two biological. Well, I'm looking at the book here and the, the cover of the book. Wow. And does he discuss the archons, the, the demons that, uh, take the life force out of, uh, humanity? He really, um, Matthew was the one that came up with that. Um, what Daniel did was he wrote the introduction to the introduction and sent it to the publisher um, for the book, um, which I thought was really awesome. So he's DT. Um, he's DT Conklin. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. He wrote the he wrote the introduction to the introduction, and um, and and it was you know it was fabulous. Um, but he's, he's had a way with words. And if we go back, I mean, he hasn't shown, you know, after the age of, you know, six, seven, when he really started taking care of me, um, because I could not function in the way of, you know, cooking dinner or doing repetitive motion. And when they realized that I could not do repetitive motion, then that's what they took over was the repetitive motion actions, uh, within the household. And uh, to see him develop the way he has developed, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, as much as people have come up to me throughout my lifetime saying, are you an alien or what planet did you come from? You know, because you obviously just came here. Um, I would have to say that that he was definitely someone of note. Well, let me lean into, into discomfort for a second and, okay. and share something with you. When we did our, well, I shouldn't be leaning into this comfort because you know, I'm pretty comfortable talking to you right now. But uh -huh. during our, our last interview, at the end of the interview, I perceived that you were, you're not the traditional person I talked to on the other show. And that's why I decided to bring you here to discuss all this because I had a feeling I was talking to somebody who had attributes that were not normal. Uh -huh. And I think this is why you're here. What else can you tell me about what happened after that encounter with a UFO? Do you have recollection now of any subsequent encounters? I don't. Um, I don't have. I mean, I've I've got I've got um, experiences that I've had when um, when I've worked with clients. There was one client, and that was one of the most bizarre. Is that? Um, I started working with her and she was critically ill and, and, uh, I just couldn't figure out what's wrong with her because the vibrations didn't match. And what I understood after about 10 minutes of looking at her and watching the particles and how they weren't fitting in her body, I realized that she was someone who had been inhabited by an alien and the alien had exploded inside of her without getting out. And so there were thousands of What do you shards. mean exploded? It's it's like like it, glass, like quartz. Like glass, like glass, like the alien just exploded and inside of her. And and so for me it looked like shards of glass. But it was a frequency that I've never seen on this planet. And I've traveled to sixty three countries. I mean I've pretty well traveled. Um I've never seen that frequency. And and I literally had to pick each shard out of her body. What was interesting though, was in, in picking each shard out, they rematerialized. They formed another form outside of her. So as I took a piece out and, and put it outside of her body, 
it started taking shape as an alien. And, uh, and I knew I was done taking the shards out of her when I saw like? a What did it look like after you put it all together? You know, I can't, I, because I don't study aliens. And, and that's always been very weird to me is that I've never really wanted to go there. Um, and yet, you know, obviously I have. Um, I wouldn't say it was what we would consider to be a gray, um, but it was something that was small, um, that it had a huge head. Um, you know, for me, everything's in grayscale anyways, but I got the feeling that it was like a deeper green and, um, and it just very patiently waited for me to finish pulling the shards out. And, um, the woman had heard me on a radio show, didn't know anything else about me. Um, but I feel like the being that was inside of her definitely, uh, led her, um, to call me because it needed to re remanifest and rematerialize itself. Um, it's like it got stuck and it just it exploded. Trapped. It was trapped. It was trapped and, and just couldn't get out. And, and I just, it was, it was incredibly taxing because I was working with a frequency that I had to match in order to be able to grab hold of it and pull it out. And I wasn't used to that frequency. I'd never seen it before. So adjusting my body, um, to the frequency of the alien so I could pull it out was just, um, exhausting. Um, but in the end, there was an alien there. So what happened to the let's call it an entity or being, what happened to it after? It just disappeared. It was just gone and she was in perfect health. So, so it got trapped. And when I, when I, you know, I've certainly talked to many people who have come to me saying, you know, I've been abducted and, and so forth. And I look in their body and their body's not showing that they were abducted. Um, but I have to start coming to the conclusion that maybe it's not the body that's actually being abducted, that possibly it's the, it's the brain that's being abducted. It's the brain. It's the, it's the subconscious, um, consciousness that's being taken and not the physical body. Because in my world, if I don't see it in your body, it didn't happen. When it comes to ETs and aliens, I have to take a different spin on it and have to say, okay, you're convinced this happened. Um, and you know, you can remember so many different things about it, but your body's not giving me any of that information. So were you physically taken or was your consciousness taken and then brought back? Because if the consciousness was taken, it won't show up in the body the same way. I mean, we see this even in the animal kingdom, we see an insect or an animal that's taken over by parasites, they, they get into their brain and they start doing things against their will. So right. was the did the woman become, let's call it, you know, for, for sake of argument, an avatar of the alien? She, no, she did not become an avatar of the alien. In fact, she was showing clear signs of not only being critically ill within the physical body, but showing signs of schizophrenia. Um, and almost demonic behavior. And, um, and when the alien reformed, it did not put out that kind of energy at all. I didn't feel any demonic or, or negative or evil or whatever we want to call it. I didn't feel that at all from the alien. Um, but she certainly, while it inhabited and exploded, she certainly fragmented severely. 
Um, and so, you know, her physical health came back and her mental health came back. Um, but I would say much more on a demonic um, scale than a avatar. How did he get inside the woman and why did he get there? You know, that still puzzles me. That still puzzles me as to, um, you know, to what, to what lengths and extent are, are ETs able to absorb. And, and this kind of goes back to the whole physics thing because, you know, we're particles and they're particles. And, and I believe that aliens came from exactly the same space and time that we came from. Um, they went off on a different trek and they went into much more of a technological um, advancement in physics than we did. We went into much more of an emotional. My theory is this, is that in order to go back to source, whatever we want to call it, is that ETs, aliens, have to get the emotional component and that, and that humans need to get more of the advancement physical on, um, physics understanding and that those two have to balance out before we can go back to source. So I believe that aliens are coming and merging with us because we're not dense, they're not dense, um, merging with us in order to start bringing that, that, um, that chemistry of the balance of physics, the technological advancement. Merging and, as in hybrids, you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, um, to bring, because we, we can't go back to source unless we're whole. And if we have one group of energies that went off and developed in terms of a technological advancement, physics, understanding physics, understanding space and time at a much greater degree than what we've ever understood. And then we have us who became very emotional beings and understand emotion. ETs from, from everything that I've seen throughout my life, um, ETs don't know emotion. They're very, very staid. They're very, they're very, anim um, uh, robotic. And, and humans experience all the, the emotions and so forth. And so I think those two have to merge in order to create a being who is advanced in both areas in order to go back to source. Because ultimately that's the goal is to go back to source. Now, and recombine. I'm going to start getting deeper with questions, not knowing that if you can answer or not, but I have a feeling that uh, you will. Just before we started the show, as I said, I didn't plan any questions or did any research, but I just mm -hmm. thought of the Big Bang Theory, and I just thought of me just dropping a rock on the ground and smashing it in a million pieces. Mm -hmm. I equate that to the, the Big Bang. But then I was looking at a picture of a beautiful woman. I look in her eyes, the eyelashes that, you know, keep the dust away from the eyes and the nose and, you know, the hair and all the, the ears. And I'm thinking, Big Bang, me dropping a, a rock on the floor. It makes no sense that life occurred because of the Big Bang. There must be something else. There must be a code. You know, mind must precede matter. What's your take on that? I, I think that that's very true. But I think that mind, I, this is my take on it. And, and hopefully I can answer your question. My take is this. Chaos is really an important piece 
of the puzzle in terms of physics. And, and I think the universe was created in a tone. And over time, it developed into an intelligence. It developed into a, a formulative intelligence. And, but what the intelligence didn't have was emotion because that's a feeling state, not an intellectual state. So when I look at the Big Bang, what I'm looking at is this intelligent source being, if you will, um, that evolved itself into an, an intelligent being. And when the Big Bang occurred, billions and billions and quadrillions of sparks came off of that um, source. Not, not decimating it. It's still there, but billions and quadrillions of sparks came off. And in those sparks became individual souls. Some of us came here to earth. Some went to other planets. Some continued the intellectual evolution of source, which I think are what we would consider to be more alien base. Um, and that it, we're all seeking knowledge. We're all seeking knowledge. And I think that that's been happening over millennia. And we're reaching a point now where the frequencies are shifting so much that those two, those two pieces of the soul, let's look at it this way, Mel. Let's say that I have a counterpart that went and developed, um, the, the technological ability of physics to be able to phase in and out of time, to be able to shift in and out of time that doesn't need a spacecraft to go someplace, can just phase in and out of time and shift in and out of time. And it's searching for me because it needs to blend with me in order to get my emotional database so that we merge, become one so that we can go back to source. So duality has to exist. So my feeling is for every human being, whether it's this planet or other planets that are emotionally based planets, there has to be what we would consider to be an alien, a robotic, an intellectual physics, something that can phase in and out of time, have knowledge before beyond anything that we could have in our brain. And we're going to come together and merge. Does that sound totally out of whack? <laughs> No, no, I'm just trying to process it the best I can with the <laughs> conventional wisdom that I've acquired. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware that every planet in our solar system, probably in the universe, has its own sound frequency. Absolutely. What is the purpose, for example, I hear that Jupiter has 528 hertz and, and others have different ones. Does that affect other planets? For example, Jupiter, is it affecting us by its own frequency? It's not. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about this is every single person and every single planet and every single particle, um, in as much as, you know, we humans say, you know, my thumbprint is mine. You know, that's how we tell people from other people is by our thumbprint. We can take it down to the base level of physics and every single thing has its own frequency. Everything whether it's a planet, the frequency of, you know, Jupiter, the frequency of Saturn is the frequency according to what's on it. Now, if we, um, you know, traveled to those planets and we took up residence, we would change the frequency of that planet because our frequencies are different. So while we interact with each other, we're also very individual and very separate. So 
my 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 core energy field is different than yours. Um, however, if I have a disease process, then that's going to rearrange my core particles and change my frequency. So the same thing happens if we're going to the moon, if we did have a lunar landing, um, then we change the frequency of the moon by bringing our particle frequency into that. So you've got to take it back down to particles that everything, there's no such thing as empty space. There's no such thing as empty space within the confines of the earth or within the universe. There's a particle everywhere and that particle has its own signature. And I think that what we're doing is we're reaching the stage of bringing these particles into a massive mass and being able to go back to the collective to source. And, and I think that that's the whole reason that we all came into being and planets came into being and, and stars and so forth was for this incredible particle dance of knowledge and learning and understanding because it's always about knowledge. It's always about knowledge. And then that emotional component coming in in order to bring those pieces all together to bring a consistent wave back to the universe because we're still in chaotic wave. With the amount of history hidden from us right here on this planet about our, our potential, our origins, I wonder, Patty, if there's life I'm sure there's life outside of, of this solar system, but I wonder if there's life also in every planet in our solar system. And those in charge here simply tell us otherwise. They tell us that we're just alone on this corner of the galaxy in order to preserve the status quo. What do you say? I, I so don't believe that. I so don't believe that. I mean, you know, when, when I hear a, a scientist say, well, you know, there can't be life on the moon. You know, there's no water. There's no this... It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're such in, in dimensional thinking here that other beings need to have water. I, I, that's just ridiculous. So I do believe that every single planet has its own life form. Um, it's, it's the same thing that I'll say when I'm working with scientists and they can't, you know, they can't figure out how I do what I do. And it's like, it's not that I can't do it. It's just you haven't developed the technology yet to measure me. You know, it's it's not about whether or not I can do it. You haven't developed the technology. And I think that that goes for every single planet out there in in whatever galaxy it's in, is that we are so crude in our development that we wouldn't be able to see it. But there is life on every single planet, whether it's in, like I said, phased in and out, whether we can see them with the eyes that we have. Um, you know, if I were on another planet, would I see things differently because I see this world differently? Would I be able to see things that, that the human eye can't normally pick up? Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. What happened to our DNA? And I ask you because, you know, some people study the, the Old Testament and they find that allegedly we used to live over a thousand years and then in the New Testament, 120 and so on. So the longevity lifespan went down. Whether mm -hmm. they measure time differently or maybe something happened, cataclysm, nuclear detonation, because they say, oh, look, you know, those old savages in the old age. But when you look at the pyramids and you look at all the magnificent feats that somebody must have done and some people Absolutely. say, oh, they must have been aliens. 
But why do we have to say aliens? Why couldn't us, why couldn't it have been us and we just de-evolved as opposed to evolved? I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think we are de-evolving instead of evolving um, in as much as, as people argue that. I think that back in the past, when when we're looking at the Old Testament and people lived a thousand years, um, they did not have the judgment level that we have today. And, you know, every time you have a conditional thought, you're slowing down your frequency and you're becoming more mass and you're also losing a lot of your intelligence. And so I believe that as time has gone and we have become such judgmental creatures and, and such conditional creatures um, that our bodies no longer can hold the energy that they held, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, when I look at, at, you know, whether I'm in a, in a archaeological site and I look at, um, mummies or I look at, um, you know, as old of things as I can find, cause I love that. Um, I see a totally different energy field and a totally different particle change. And I think it's not that we, that, you know, that people didn't live that long. I think their cells were much cleaner and those cells did not have the conditional statements um, and conditional thoughts that they have now. And, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that if our cells were clean, we could walk through a nuclear wasteland and not even be affected by it. It's the belief that we have that we'll be affected by it, that we will. Um, but our cells can't take the energy hits. So when I'm on stage and I open up to people, you know, when I go out in public, um, most of the planet walks at 39, 40% of their hundred percent capability in terms of their energy level, their frequency level. So when I go out in public, I match that 39 to 40. But if I'm on stage and I'm working with a group, then I will slowly open up my energy by increments um, because my, my, my comfort zone is about 80%. But if I walk into a room at my 80%, everyone will be crying within two minutes, guaranteed. And they start crying because I'm walking in with an energy that just massively hits their cells and their emotions just rupture. They can't hold it back. So I think what's happened is our cells have gotten to a point where um, they can't handle as much as they could in eons of old. Um, and I think that we've gone through many uh, different civilizations. Uh, I think that, you know, when we do look at the Sphinx and we look at the pyramids and we look at, you know, the Mayan uh, culture and so forth, um, and the accuracy, the pinpoint accuracy of, of uh, astrology, that we have definitely de-evolved and we really need to catch ourselves. We really need to stop it and get out of the conditionalism and judgment so our bodies can clear back up and, um, and be open and, and have ourselves flowing again or we're just going to continue a downward spiral. And for those people who are listening to Patty thinking of Ancient Aliens, the TV show, just think again. I don't mean to criticize, uh, criticize these programs, but just look who's on top, who owns those channels. And when they start talking about, oh, these Pumapunku and, and mm -hmm. Mesoamerica and Egypt is all alien. Just think yeah. about the reason why they're saying that. Because right. they're limiting you. I always say, Patty, that the biggest conspiracy of all 
is a secret to our own potential, which is taking me now to the next topic, DNA. Since you're talking about, you know, you, you, you can raise your, your energy levels to 80% while mm-hmm. others are at 20, 30. What happened to our DNA? I ask you because I see our DNA like a computer code. A computer, you know, a computer may have more capabilities than the code or software that we install in the computer, and so is our DNA. We only have a fraction of what our DNA could be. It's turned off. Yes. Did somebody turn it off? And yet, I mean, we, our DNA works great. I mean, we have this symbiotic relationship of proteins that make our, our organs work. But what happened to all the other senses that we used to have? Yeah, it's it's a it's a very legitimate question and my answer is this. I think that when we're looking at deja vu or we're looking at what we consider to be past life experiences is actually ancestral um memory being passed down through our DNA. And just like with our physical body, when we have conditions and we're setting up conditions and limitations within ourselves, we set up conditions and limitations that get passed in our DNA down to our children. I'm convinced that if my children were born today with as much as I know today versus, you know, 34 years ago, they'd be totally different human beings and that they would be even, even more advanced um, than what they were born with because my DNA is cleaned out more. So I do think that that what happens is the emotions store within the DNA and also the programming, the programming that we're limited. Um, I don't know where that came from. I mean, you look at you look at, you know, people who achieve monumental feats, what we expect to be monumental feats, and then everybody can do it. You know, it's, it's like all of a sudden, you know, the, the running of the, you know, the, the first mile that was run in what, six minutes or three minutes or whatever. And now everybody's running it. So again, we're programmed by conditions and those conditions are passed down through our genetic strand, through our DNA, so that each generation gets a little less capable a little less capable because they believe that there's limitations and they're passing it down through their strands. You know, I think people who are ready to kick the bucket, and I don't say this humorously, people who are ready to die, they have matured and evolved, and boom, they die, almost Mm -hmm. as if it's planned obsolescence. Imagine if he could live another 100 years. Imagine the wisdom they could impart on everyone else. Yeah. We would have a peaceful world, a more spiritual, unified world. I think, I wonder if this plan obsolescence is planned for a reason. You know, I've, I've never, in my earlier years, I would have said, no, doesn't work that way. As I've gotten older and I've seen more and I've understood more, um, it makes me wonder it just makes me wonder if there isn't that kind of programming that's taking place inside of us. Um, because we do reach a stage where, you know, we're finally, you know, we spend the first 40 years of our life learning how to be human. And then all of a sudden, you know, most people begin to open up spiritually. 
And, and I always say, you know, I spent the first 42 years of my life learning to be spiritual. And then I had to learn how to be human and kind of reverse the, it's like, Oh, I got to interact with people. Oh, okay. Oh, I can do that, I guess. Um, so, but I think that, that people, as they're getting ready to cross, as they're getting ready, um, they start awakening and those particles are flowing better and they're moving faster. And, and they're able to let go of the limitations because they have nothing to hold onto. And so they can let go of the limitations and let their mind expand. But I mean, look at how we teach our children. We teach our children limitations right off the bat. We teach limitations. And so how about if every parent on this planet stop limiting your child? allow your child to grow and seek and, and create and be, um, you know, when Daniel told me at 14 months about having other parents, I didn't poo poo him and go, Oh, that didn't happen or whatever. I was fascinated that he still had that memory that he was still being able to bring that from his, from his, um, DNA and, and still bring in that memory. But I think if people let go of their, lack of limitations. If they stop being fearful about dying, they'd stop dying. Whether or not that's implanted, whether or not that was implanted at some point in time into our genetic structure, I don't know. But the idea that we have to die or that we have to take a hundred different vitamins, excuse me, a hundred different vitamins in order to live is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And a lot of this we discussed during our other radio program because of all of this. The reason why I made that other program was because here we're trying to find the secrets of the universe. But I want us to do it healthy. I want us to be able to reach an age and say we can still enjoy that. That's why I created the other part because I'm studying a lot of this. I had uh, Dr. Ellen Langer the other day on the show discussing a project, an experiment that she did called Counterclockwise, where she sent a few elderly uh, men in their 70s, I believe, to to a, a convent somewhere, and they set, put a set there almost like the 1950s. Actually, not almost, just like the 1950s. And mm-hmm. they would go inside, and uh, newspaper in the morning was from the 1950s. The TV would show 1950s programs. And they, after one week, just one week, they took their vitals, they examined them, and they all looked younger. Some of them could see without their glasses. Yep. F- physically, they, they imagine if you did that for an entire year, Absolutely. what it could ha- what could happen. And then I have Dr. Jenny Lloyd from Australia who wrote a book uh, called uh, "Is Death Becoming a Choice?" Because we, the more we think, oh, you know, life expectancy is eighty some, and when the time comes, we accelerate the process. So right. I think a lot of it has to do with the mind. It does. It really has to do with the programming. You know, I'm 57 and most people would never guess that what? I'm 57. Yeah. No way. <clears throat> I am. So, so, you know, people look at me and they're like, you can't be 57. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have a belief that I have to age. Um, all right. of my friends are like, wow, I get up in the morning and I'm so stiff and I have to do yoga for a half hour to get stretched out. And I'm like, why? And they're like, doesn't your body get stiff? It's like, no, my body doesn't get stiff. Why would it get stiff? Because you're 57. What does that mean? I mean, what? seriously, what does that mean? So there's a difference between, 
you know, having this idea of, oh, gee, I don't have to age versus I don't have to age. And there's a knowing in it. And when you talk about that study of taking the 70 year old men and putting them on a set that is, you know, set in the 1950s, after a week, they know there's a, there's a knowing, there's a deep core knowing within the genetic structure that you're that young. And, and so it's these beliefs, these programmings that people move into, um, that says we, we go through these segments. We have to be this age. We're going into this age. We're going into, to this grouping. And it's just so not true. It's just so not true unless you choose to believe it. And I think that that's where it comes back to the personal responsibility and accountability is, you know, I do jujitsu. Yes, I'm the oldest person doing jujitsu and in our class, and I'm 30 years older than anybody there, but I can still choke a guy out and, and I can still be flexible and move around and be able to do it. I think that because I grew up in isolation and I didn't grow up within a family structure of this is what happens, this is what you do, that I didn't know it. And so therefore I wasn't programmed towards it. I just wasn't programmed. And so my programming took the path of what I wanted it to be, not what I was told it was going to be. And, and, you know, I'm coming back and I know we talked about it on the other show, but that's where we're coming back to personal responsibility. We can make our life as traumatic as we want to make it, or we can make it as easy going as we want to make it, but we're going to make it. And whether that's influence from aliens or whether that's influence within the collective on this planet, um, if people start changing and understanding that they don't have to be sick, they don't have to be ill. And if they are sick and ill, they have to look at what's the emotion that made them sick. What's the emotion that changed the particle frequency within their body to allow a sickness to come in? And I'm glad you mentioned that we're aliens because that's exactly what we're going to be discussing during segment two, we had to take our one and only intermission. I want to discuss what are aliens. And I know it may sound like a very overly simplistic question, but it, it, it goes beyond what I'm trying to ask. Where do they come from? When you look at the vast universe and you see there are billions of stars and perhaps trillions of planets, who in the right mind would have the arrogance to say that we are alone in the universe? Also, you have had a lot of clients who have told you stories about their own encounters. I want to get deeper into all these questions when we come back. Patty, how can people buy your newest book, The Gut Within, your website, and people learning more about, you, about your work? They can go to Amazon and order it straight off of Amazon. We just went into second edition, which is really exciting. Um, so they can go to Amazon. It's God Within, uh, The Day God's Train Stopped. And uh, my website is pattyconklin.com, and that's P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N.com. And uh, they can, we're doing all sorts of workshops um, by video and by uh, in-person. Um, so they can go there and, and check out uh, where I'm going to be and see if something resonates with them. And for those of you who want to listen to Patty's other interview, just go to signingtestradio.com and look at, do a search for Patty Conklin and you'll see the interview titled How Life Really Works. Really, really interesting interview as well. And I want to thank you once again for 
given us two more hours after just being with us a few weeks ago to explore what we think and what is beyond our comprehension. All of this when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with my special guest, Patty Conklin. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members or subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy.